suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined well, hello out there, and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through the high seas of life. Today's topic, Utopia, You're Gonna Love It, Part 1 of 6. And who wouldn't want Utopia? Life of bliss. Because it never works out. Maybe that's why. There's always struggle. Darwin told us as much. Nature proves it. God, why does utopia never end well? Why is it that promises end? Hmm, I think there's a song there. In any event, caution. Whenever a man, and it's almost always the male of the species, true toxic males, by the way, whenever they promise the creation of a paradise. That's the objective. You know, creating the most good for the most people. One ought not merely dismiss this nonsense as foreboding, you know, the foretelling of a disaster to come. No, one need head for the hills or get rid of the nuts proposing such ill-founded, dangerous impossibilities. Buy off on all this utopian, utilitarian nonsense, the most good for the most people. The best, the best case scenario is one might lose all their possessions. Imagine, as John Lennon saying, lose one's wealth. Worst case scenario, people die. But always, always, most definitely, most assuredly, a great deal of bad stuff and pain is surely on the way to you when someone claims they're going to create a utopia. And in this multi-episodic adventure series, we will take a peek at you know, and of course, as is our want, we will comment upon several of the history's micro and macro and philosophical efforts to define, establish, and maintain the creation of utopias, you know, paradisical living conditions for communities and societies, whether they be large or small. You know, we're going to talk about how did these things wind up? How did they play out? So with that, let's start with the ideas of a very, very smart guy whose ideas you may or may not approve of, but whom is recognized by all recorded history as a genius for all ages. And as, as we will soon discuss the ideas and the dreams of idiots, morons, religious fanatics, perverts, and megalomaniacs. Let's begin with someone who's not. Let's begin with Plato and his republic, the ideal state. He, he may not have defined his ideal state exactly as a utopia, but he did argue his republic represented the best organization by which human society might 
organize human experience. And Plato argued the state should be ruled by philosopher kings trained in the art of governance. And as a result, they are, they are the ones that are best equipped to make decisions um, such that the maximum good of the entire society might be brought to fruition. Yes, through the use and rule by philosopher kings. And, and Plato went on to suggest that such a society naturally, I mean naturally, would recognize that it consisted of three classes. A ruling class, you know, philosopher kings, a warrior class, and a working class. No dishonor to either uh, or any of the classes. You know, underpinning this society would be the fundamental understanding that Justice will be the basis upon which the entire society is structured. That is, others are treated fairly and no harm is done anyone. That is the objective. That is the primary goal of the functioning ideal state. And in Plato's ideal state, democracy isn't desired. Because in a democracy, it's highly likely that incompetent people will be put into positions in which they have been empowered, empowered to make important decisions on behalf of all fellow citizens. The, the possibility you know, that seriously deleterious consequences will follow, will result, is very high due the moronic decisions that will be made by people whom are totally unqualified to make those decisions, but have been put into power to make those decisions. Plato, Plato wrote these words in 380 BC. I mean, 2,403 years later, could there possibly exist any better evidence that Plato knew of which he wrote? I mean, really, of the craziness, the looniness, the inanity of the tendencies of a democracy to go off the rails. I mean, then the highest offices in the U.S., the leading democracy in history. We are being led by and have been led by the likes of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Donald Trump. Oh my God. And we and we voluntarily, without coercion, without a gun to our head, we voted these complete imbeciles into positions of power. They are making decisions on our behalf because we decided they are so smart and they will make the best decisions on our behalf. Well, we shall we shall reap what we have so the whirlwind is going to be so so terribly destructive by the time the these kinds of people are done leading us making decisions on our behalf but we're going to deserve all that is coming our way yes we are oh, one you know one final comment on plato's ideal state is that he believed a keystone to societal success and longevity and and ultimate happiness of the society is committing is the, the the commitment to an educational system for the youth that is designed to teach children to rely on reason 
in the pursuit of truth as the basis for making of decisions. Well, I can I can assure you, it is obvious that in, in the year 2023 in the U.S., we are not committed to this value. The spreading of political ideology is now the principal educational academic objective of this country and its teachers and the teachers' unions. I mean, this spells, this is the formula for certain doom. But again, it has been a process and, and product of the rage of the ignorant. But so empowered, what can we expect from dolts but stupid policy? You know, as Churchill once said, democracy is the only form of government in which the people truly get what they deserve. And we deserve all we're going to get. And so with our rather simplistic, brief summary of Plato's ideal state behind us, let us pursue a review. I mean, and this is going to be just an overview, obviously, of a few efforts, large and small, to achieve, establish societal perfection known as utopia. Let's, let's start with a real micro mini version. Hey, how about Charlie Manson and his family? We will, and we're not going to bother wasting much time, you know, discussing the, you know, the quality of life achieved and the pursuit of the perfect society, you know, as conceived by the small mind uh, and obviously the ill mind of Charlie Manson and his family living on the Spahn Ranch in Topanga Canyon uh, in the 1960s. You know, the problem often witnessed, though, in pursuit of utopia is that it is often the claim of a man willing to spill lots of blood to reach it, and it will prove a destination, utopia, that will never be reached. Never. All the goings-on, the craziness that evolved from the lunatic preachings of this man and his ravery, ravings and, and the butchery, the atrocities carried out by his drug-addled, bewitched, violent cult family members at Charlie's direction. I mean, they're well-known. They've been well-known now for 60 years. His utopia was simply a dystopia, a completely dysfunctional mini-society conceived, conceived by a stupid little monster whom tyrannized weaklings and tyranny is a key component, as we will see in all conceptions of utopia. You know, the vile creature that was Charlie Manson. He could be pretend, pretend to be anything he wanted to be, including a rock star. But the reality was he would never be anything but what he was. Just a vile, little, murderous creature. And if Manson set out to establish a utopia, his utopia was a a Dante-esque-like version of a perfect uh, micro-hell, consisting only of atavistic losers like Charlie, you know, rejects like himself. Yet, and, and this to me is very strange, Charlie did prove successful against all odds, it would appear to me. In one particular arena of life, he proved capable successfully of attracting many decent-looking women to lust after his ugly little body. I mean, how, how did he do this? And this is so weird to me. But 
what is even maybe stranger is this type of capability appears again and again in the history of the pursuit of various utopias throughout all of recorded history. I mean, it's it's just a strange phenomena that can't be ignored. I mean, more on the strength of this strange magnetism of, of the leaders uh, of utopia later. But let's just conclude like this. Charlie's mad attempts to incite a race war in the U.S. So his utopia involved the creation of a race war in America due, due to secret communiques that he received personally from the Beatles directing Charlie to initiate Helter Skelter. They are just too insane to waste our, our time any further. So let me read, let me read a quote. Uh, I got it here from the late Christopher Hitchens. That is applicable before we move on. Christopher Hitchens once wrote, The search for nirvana, like the search for utopia or the end of history or classless society, is ultimately a futile and dangerous one. Because it involves, if it does not necessitate, the sleep of reason. There is no escape from anxiety and struggle. Obviously, I couldn't have said it better. Because Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens was a wordsmith, you know. Next on the agenda, I was go- and I and I was going to discount completely this guy, David Koresh, and his wigged out Waco, Texas religious commune made up of complete goofballs, you know, the Branch Davidians. But there are a number of factors involving this cut. Cult, you know, a forked branch, by the way, of the Seventh-day Adventists that prove worth additional commentary, hold my interest, you know, A, because of the strangeness of the cult and its leader himself, but B, beyond the branch Davidians themselves, there is the matter of just how our society, America, a democracy, empowered incompetence to deal with this small commune of religious fanatics led by a charismatic lunatic whom sought to live out a most unusual utopian existence. And this is something we decided we could not tolerate. So, and and so typical of American history, extreme violence entered the equation and became a vital part of the story of David Koresh. So, it is upon this note of the conflict to come, of, of a failed utopia, of bloodshed and violent death and apocalypse, that we close out part one of, of this podcast series that we've entitled Utopia, You're Gonna Love It, Part One. And we will return in our, our next episode, beginning with the micro-society that is the Branch Davidians, before we begin moving upscale to more macro-visions of utopia as we proceed through the series. So, hey, thanks for li- listening, and hope you'll tune in again next.
slip from the harbor, head out to the sea. Crystal blue water surrounding me. Tap to the wind, taste the sea breeze. Tropical heaven on the coral sea. A little more rum, I think of my wife. What did I do? Have I ruined my life? Tell her I've changed, become a new man. I promise I will, and I know that I can. When did the skies change? When did we turn back? How am I ever gonna get myself back? The sea's now boiling, and I'm getting cold. I've lost my sails, got to find a way home. Alone in my boat. Stand adrift on the high seas of life. Years from tomorrow, days from the land. Nothing can save me unless fate lends a hand. Storm, it is worse than life. No control. The wind and the waves are taking. I look to the stars. There's none I can see. I'm afraid fate she has answered me. Only moments my story will end. There was a story I wanted to send. Oh how I dreamed for the calm of the sea. A beautiful face smiling back at me. The sea is boiling and I'm getting cold. I've lost my sails, got to find a way home. When did the skies change? When did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas of life. When did the skies change? When did they turn black? How am I ever gonna get myself back? Alone in my boat, I think of my wife. I'm lost in a drift on the high.